Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Keep Left, the Victorian Labor College show. In the studio is, of course, Irene Bolger, who hasn't moved. Good morning. No, I'm <laughs> welded to the seat. Well, that's right. <laughs> Embedded, bolted to the yes. seat. And myself, Chris Gaffney. We'll be uh, talking at you until 10.30, in which can there, when you will be able to ring up and have your say about anything we've talked about or not talked about. Well, the United States has increased sanctions on the people of Iran and Russia. <sighs> well... Does it matter? Well, <laughs> in the sense that it all—it's all on the march to war by the Americans. Mm. Um, the the Senate vote was ninety-eight-two, which is a, the best reason I've ever read for writing off both American oh, parties absolutely. as a complete pile <laughs> of manure. Yes, with Senator Rand Paul and Bernie Sanders oh. voting no, the latter, despite his support of the Russian half of the bill. The bill's called an act to provide congressional review and to counter Iranian and Russian government aggression. What have the Iranians been doing? Existing. Aggression towards whom? Uh, Well, aggression here is meant to mean something conveying like what it means, for example, for the US military to accuse a Syrian player in Syria of aggression against US forces before oh, shooting it down. Yeah, yeah because they... So you can't, you can't be aggressive towards invaders. No, no, Everybody, no. just take note of that. No, legally the no. aggressor is the United States, of course, in yes. both situations, both in the Syrian war and in the context of these sanctions. But practically, speaking resistance to US aggression is seen in Washington as unacceptable hostility. Yes, that's right. Well, they've been haven't they been sailing their big ships around near Iran in more recent times? Well, Iran, China, looking everywhere to pick They're a looking fight. For trouble. It's like the local bully going around. Yeah. What are you looking at? What yeah, looking? exactly. Military action, of course, is a criminal activity under the UN Charter and under oh. the Kellogg-Briand Act. UN sanctions on Iraq prior to two thousand and three killed. At least 1.7 million people, including half a million children, according to the UN. Yep. Uh, member, of course, Secretary Albright, Madeleine Albright, said, quote, oh. it was worth it. These um, are monsters. Yeah. These are monsters. Yep. So sanctions do put lives on the line, but they are tools of a rogue, not global justice, cracking, uh, not global justice cracking down on rogues, as if the Iranians are the rogues here. Just, of course, like military action, sanctions don't work on their own terms. US sanctions on North Korea have failed to overthrow the government, have failed to stop it developing all sorts of menacing rockets, and united the Korean people against what's-his-face, Kim Il-Thingo. Well, the thing is, though, that they did have an effect uh, some years ago when they had a famine and uh, a lot of people died, and, yes. and that... Everybody's going, oh, North Korea, you know, people are starving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, there are all sorts of bans on North Korea. This is what happens. They criticise Cuba and, you know, because their economy was a bit stagnant because they had bans all over the world. And an embargo. And, yeah, and then they blame them. Yeah, blame, that's right. That's right. It's like bombing someone saying, well, look, look what you've done to yourself. Yeah. Um, the same story with Cuba, of course, for the past uh, for, for 57 years. And I ran for the first 38 and apparently opponents of Putin are saying 
that they can't take action against Putin while the sanctions are in there because the sanctions immediately produce sympathy for Putin. And so it's extremely unpopular to be anti-Putin at the same time as the Americans imposing sanctions. Because you're American The UN, the US doesn't present sanctions as tools of murder and cruelty, but of course that's what they are. The Russian and Iranian people are already suffering under US, US sanctions, the Iranians most severely. In Russia, the sanctions are actually benefiting agriculture, just as they've done in Cuba. We also note that the Russians and the Chinese are starting to cooperate in a way they never did before. Yeah. And um, furthermore, Western Europe and Russia are getting closer. Yes. I mean, talk about dumb. Talk about dumb. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if NATO survives. Well, Trump's, uh, I think it'll be sans America. <laughs> The United States presents its sanctions as law enforcement rather than what they are, law violation. The Senate's legislation blames Iran Iran, for building missiles and for supporting terrorists. The United States, of course, far outdoes Iran or any other country in both these uh, categories. And and building missiles is not a violation of any law. No. Large-scale terrorism, also known as war... Uh, is where the United States criminality really dwarfs Iran and Russia. The same bill cites US intelligence community with assessing, quote, in that Russia, Vladimir Putin, ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the United States presidential (laughs) election. Oh, how naughty. Thus, Russia stands accused without, we might add, and I'm a, uh, I watch a little bit of CNN at my friend's place and yes, Fox I do. and all it's these. It's good for a laugh. It they, is good for a laugh. They hate Trump. Oh, yeah, well, Fox loves him. <laughs> Fox so, loves him, but so CNN from, hates him. That's right. You go from one to the other and you'll hear the same thing being discussed. Yes. Russia stands accused without a shred of proof no. of undermining cybersecurity and elections, things that the United States does all the time. In addition, Russia is accused of aggression in the Ukraine, suggesting that facilitating a violent coup in Kiev, which the American did, doesn't apparently add up to this. Well, that got rid of an elected government. Well, that's right. Left-wing government and and replaced by a right-wing, not elected government. Well, 30% of the members were actually (laughs) fascists wearing swastikas. Well, they used to be... No, they were fascists back in the Second World War. Well, they put up a memorial to Stephen Bandiera, who was a collaborator with the Nazis. Um, If there's any role for for a global system of justice to address such matter, there's no role for the US government, the greatest purveyor of violence on Earth, the greatest incarcerator of human beings on Earth, the greatest consumer of petrol on earth, and a government that has legalised bribery to do so. The production of a report on Russian media is ordered as if the United States is not also the leader in promoting its own media abroad. The US government's made clear that it values something far higher than eliminating enemies, and that's this, maintaining enemies. Sanctions serve that purpose with Russia and Iran. They maintain enemies, they sell weapons. That's right, and they're, and they're having a go at Venezuela at the moment. They haven't produced any evidence that a million votes were wrong or something. Nobody, oh, uh, there's been evidence. no evidence. They just say it. No, that's and right. They, and they do say it on CNN as well. Oh, do but, they really? Uh, oh, well, yeah, yes, yeah, they the, would. the vote in Venezuela, yeah, because Venezuela is now seeing being under the thumb of a left wing. No, person. that's right. That's so right. it wasn't it's not American. What they mean is that it's not actually an American client state yet. Yeah, exactly. 
They also prepare the ground, as in Iraq, for war. Russia's nuclear mm. weapons, the incredible success of Islamophobia, traditional US racism and the position of the US military in the era all make this very bad news for Iran as a lex- yes. next likely victim. And if the US war is launched against Iran, we're likely to hear from Washington's halls of power as justification for the war the following pathetic confession. Well, we tried sanctions and they didn't, they didn't work. work. And they're going to be using Saudi Arabia as their great big mate like they are in Syria because they're big mates with the Saudis. And Saudi Arabia is a far worse country than Iran is. But Saudi is Sunni. On every score. The Sunnis are in Saudi, Saudi Arabia and the... Um, I've just felt Shiites are in uh, Iran, and the Sunnis always see the Shiites as being illegitimate. They're not proper. Yeah, proper Muslims. Muslims. That's right. And so they'll be having a crack at them as soon as it starts. So it's what, the hypocrisy of it. Is, it's just, it it's, takes your breath away. It takes your breath away. And people probably generally don't even see that, but they're so hypocritical about all this stuff. The bill seeks to punish Russia for interference in US and other elections. <laughs> Crimes for which we would have seen evidence for if yes. it had actually existed. Yes. And for the, and this is a quote, the illegal annexation of Crimea. Yeah. Uh, illegal <laughs> because it was opposed by a coup government in Kiev. Yeah. Despite being supported by almost everybody in the Crimea. Yeah. At that time and to this day. The 2014 vote by the people of Crimea to rejoin Russia involved zero casualties. Nobody was hurt and has never been repeated because poll after poll shows people happy with their vote. We have seen no written or oral statement from Russia threatening war or violence against the people of Crimea. If the threat was implicit, there remains the problem of being unable to find Crimeans Can't pronounce it. Who say, who say they feel threatened? The Americans actually can't produce one Crimean to say, oh, it's shocking. It's shocking. Oh, I know. If the vote was influenced by the implicit threat, there remains the problem that all the polls get the same result. So the United States is stymied. Russian, um, on Russian uh, television, uh, which was discussed, sanctions uh, by the United States are acts of aggression aimed at selling weapons, Preparing yep. the ground for war, yep. responding to successful propaganda, advancing economic interests, and distracting the public from the government abuses it might object to. Of course, US sanctions against North Korea for 67 years, Cuba for 57, and Iran for 30 year, 38 years have only strengthened the control of those in power in these countries. And the same effect is de- documented in Russia. But if sanctions led the way to all-out war on Iran, it may serve uh, Iraq. It may serve that purpose in Iran. Intentional total war with North Korea or especially Russia is less likely. Why? Because they've got uh, nuclear weapons. Yeah. Well, they're assuming they've got. Nobody really knows for sure whether there's anything nuclear attached or they're going to be able to attach it, but they're assuming that they're making. Well, of course it. they are. But but and the thing is too that because of South Korea being right next door, that all they have to do is fire one off and hit somewhere in South Korea. Well, the, the, in the South uh, Koreans, you might actually. Do you remember? Kill a lot there of was people. a survey done in South Korea about a month ago. And they asked people, who are you worried about most? They didn't say North Korea. (laughs) They said Trump. (laughs) 
Russia is... Um, but anyway, whether they've got nuclear weapons or not, they're useful. They're useful to the weapons industry. If yes. You, you've only got a point to a thread, doesn't have to be real, yeah. to justify endless amounts of... Uh, well, that's probably... I mean, I would imagine that that's what North Korea want, that they may be bluffing, who knows, but it's having an effect. Well, it's stopping the <laughs> so, Yanks invading them. And, so um, it's a good idea. The only sane view I've been able to read is from the Black Alliance for Peace, who said sanctions and escalating rhetoric on the possibility of war have become a convenient bipartisan diversion from policies that continue the assault on basic human rights in the US, from the lack of affordable health care to intensifying police violence. But as the polls demonstrate, people in the US are starting to catch on to the fact that they are being manipulated and are questioning the permanent war agenda. End of quote. Yes, well, you see, the Russian foreign ministry is saying that the Washington is sliding ever deeper into the primitive ideology-driven Cold War cliches that are totally de- detached from reality, well, which that's, puts it nicely have, in one sentence. couldn't put it better myself. Um, <laughs> Said me comparing himself modestly to the yeah, Russian. To the Russian. <laughs> in um, anyway, moving back to Australia in mid June, the Labor Party and the mm-hmm. Liberals—you may not have no, ever noticed this—they passed the Native Title Amendment Bill. Now, what this did was to change the law to give mining companies greater access to Aboriginal land. The change is partly to benefit the mining company Adani which is trying to establish the Carmichael coal mine on the ancestral land of the Wangan and Jagalingyu people. With apologies to those people with the way he's yes, pronounced sorry. that. Yes, that's right. You may not recognise your own name. <laughs> this, should give, this should give pause, I think, to people who are calling for an Aboriginal treaty, which I've always thought was not a bad idea. Yes. We have argued before that under capitalism, no such treaty will be respected. No. Treaties like native title, native title law can be torn up when capitalism yeah. demands it. Yeah. Existing native title law has always been subverted by big business, with mining com- companies paying what they call, forgive this quote, fuck off money to Indigenous representatives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's to, a good way of putting it. Who said that? It's what they, it's what they, oh, they said. Yeah. They said it. Yeah. Two weeks before this bill passed the Senate, hundreds of Indigenous people from across the country met at Uluru. They stressed the concept of Indigenous sovereignty, which is used to refer to the independent, recognised authority of a nation over its own affairs. It's seen as a way to self-determination and a prerequisite for a treaty. But sovereignty has never guaranteed democratic rights to community. Sovereign nations have always been subject to invasion and war. And treaties overseas have not protected the Indigenous people of other countries from facing the same disasters that face the Aboriginal community. What about New Zealand? I'm about to come to that. Oh, sorry. So what strategy <laughs> is needed... Oh, gee, she's keen. She's keen. To... <laughs> so what strategy is needed to win Indigenous rights? <laughs> History shows that the answer lies in class struggle. Where Indigenous groups have won greater right, it's not been the existence of a treaty that's made the difference, but the militancy of people's movements fighting against the ruling class. The Maoris are often used as an example of an Indigenous group who've won significant victories and are seen as enjoying greater rights than many other Indigenous people. But these victories come from struggle, not from a treaty. 
The Treaty of Waitangi between British colonialists and the Maori has been systematically ignored except where it's signed land over to the British. The biggest factor stopping the government from eliminating the special seats that are set from Maori is the fear of haikos, is that what the, the, the New Zealand Maori protest marches? H-I-K-O-I-S? I don't know. I'm, yeah. It's their militant march. Well, it's another, it's another variation of uh, the Harker, I suppose. That's, I think so that's probably something what it is. Militant, yeah. it is. But, <coughs> so they're frightened, they're frightened of a militant reaction by the Maoris. While these comments show that the ruling class fear militant struggle, they also highlight that under capitalism, these struggles will always have to be refought over and over again. The Maori community are constantly faced with the burdens of racism, poverty and exploitation. There's no lasting solution unless the capitalist system is replaced with a democratic socialist system that guarantees the right to self-determination. The bottom line is that an indigenous protest movement is needed, one that unites with other working class and oppressed peoples. Indigenous people have a, have a history of being part of militant class struggles. The Pilbara strike, the Wave Hill walk-off, the surge of activism in the Seven, they were partly inspired by the openly socialist Black Panthers, to name but a few. Rather than spending its energy on a push for an ineffective treaty, no more than a guarantee of change than what the recognised campaign offers, a militant movement could fight and win victories. The end of the Northern Territory intervention and of racist welfare quarantine, real support for remote communities and a programme of jobs, homes and services for all. A struggle around these demands has the potential to draw in the trade union movement and other working class organisations that could benefit from such gain. <coughs> As the dispute over the coal mine, Carmichael coal mine shows, it's the capitalist system that demands indigenous dispossession. Indigenous rights have only been won by channeling this system through mass struggle. Ultimately, only democratic socialism can offer an end to oppression and exploitation and true determination for both Indigenous and non-Indigenous workers alike. Well, uh, and it's still saying with Australia, and it's a bit of a bore because we have to keep coming back this all the time, the official figures lying about the job crisis in Australia. You know? oh. And your people will say, oh, these unemployed, they don't want to work. And when you point out, and one fellow said, well, if they got off their bum and put their, put their effort in, they'd get a job. And I said, well... Well, where? Well, exactly. And I said, well, if you're one of the eight people who apply for every job, so you're saying the other seven, they're all bludgers. Yeah. They're all bludgers, apparently. Yeah. And what, and what, and what jobs are available? Well, and exactly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, the problem is too is the casualisation of the workforce. So a lot of the jobs, probably most of them, these and you can't even guarantee that you'll be paid. No, and they're not full time jobs. No, no. <coughs> um, unemployment in June stood at five point six percent, up zero point one percent. I mean, these are not. That's fast, figures. you see, because they, is it one hour <laughs> a week or something? They count. <coughs> That's they right. Count? <laughs> well, while sixty two thousand full jobs were added. Yeah. 48,000 part-time jobs were lost. Yeah. Even so, the uh, the outcome was heralded by uh, Turnbull as mm. proof that his promise of jobs and growth uh, was not oh, just a right. slogan but an outcome. We know he's a liar, don't we? Oh, pathological. A more realistic situation, the job situation, is provided by the Roy Morgan Research Institute, hardly a communist front, one might add, 
which shows real unemployment in June was 8.9%, that is 1.2 million people, while underemployment, people looking for more hours, stood at 10.7%. That That is, it showed over 2.6 million people, or 16, 16.9% of the country's workforce, were either out of job or were looking for more work. As you point out, you've only got to work an hour a fortnight mm. to be counted as unemployed. Mm. For young people, the unemployment is far above the national level, level standing at 13% in the official figures, up from 127 the month before. And in some regional areas, the rate is as high as 41%. Official unemployment stands at 18%, the highest in 40 years. Full-time employment now stands for just 20%, 28, sorry, for 68% of the workforce. He hasn't got his teeth in. No, no, I've got a cold, you see, so I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I have my head's in bed. Oh. Um, down from around 72% just 10 years ago. Anyway, Australia has the third highest proportion of part-time workers in the industrial yeah. world. Yeah, and are they going to start counting the, the people they are going to make do slave labour uh, as employed? The people are going to make of course. work of for course. nothing? That's right. They, <laughs> they get paid something, don't they? So they're working. It doesn't are they, matter are they that... actually going to get paid anything? I thought they were working for nothing. Well, uh, yeah. Well, they were going there for, I don't know, another version of work They're doing it for the country. Yes. They're doing it for the country. <laughs> At the same time, major employers are continuing to push for greater casualisation of their workforces. Oh. For example, the coal miners employed by Glencore and Hunter Valley are currently taking industrial action against the company because the company refuses to restrict casualisation. Mm, so the just... fight's going on. Moreover, the job vacancies were mainly for temporary and contract roles which increased 3.5% mm. during mm. the June quarter. In the past, in three of the f- past four months, retail spending has slumped, month-on-month declines for the first time in six years. So things are not getting better, despite what the Liberals say. The NAB chief economist said, quote, I think retail itself is in re- recession. It's basically deteriorating and not contributing much to growth at all. And we don't see it improving in the short term. Because people haven't got any money to spend in retail. Well, that's right. If you right. don't pay them, increase their wages uh, in line with the cost of living and yeah, any yeah, other yeah, measure yeah. that you want to have, people don't go and spend it anywhere. Well, of course. Except on food. And as Coles said last week, the head of Coles even said, that people are buying the cheapest bits of meat and, and less meat than they used to. Well, meat's so expensive. they can't afford it. Meat's so expensive. It's ridiculous. Large-scale job cuts have been announced over the past three months. In early June, uh, Telstra announced that it shared 1,400 jobs. Toll Holdings said it would slash 1,700 jobs. Arizon, the Royal Rail Haulage Company, announced it would cut 300 jobs and the Commonwealth Bank will axe 150. Oh, the, the federal... Commonwealth Bank, sorry. Yeah. I, now you've mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the bank that's been facilitating uh, illegal transactions? <laughs> I don't know. Yes. I? Well, I think, there's, uh, I think there's been some problem about laundering... Money and stuff. Oh, right, right. Mm. Well, I mean, the level of corruption in this country is... <laughs> I mean, even that, that business with uh, the water. You know how oh. outrageous yep. that is, that these rich cotton farmers... Why are we growing it. cotton in Australia? Yeah. Why are we growing uh, cotton in Australia? They're stealing the water so that the people of South Australia and the farmers... 
you know. Well, they grow it in countries that have got far more water than we have. Yes, yes. And that's where they need to be. That's right. Exactly. Here, exactly. Stick to wheat. Stick to bloody wheat. Yeah, for God's or sake. something that feeds everybody. Yes, that's right. The federal budget brought down in May includes the shedding of another four and a half thousand public service positions, mm-hmm. including oh. two hundred and forty-four from the health department, two hundred and forty-five the immigration department, the Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island Studies. They'll lose twenty percent of its hundred and fifty staff. Yes, but you know that they're spending billions on. Um what are they called? People that you consult. Consultants. So oh, the yes, increase yes. in spending on consultants is in proportion to the people they're getting rid of as public servants. Who actually do the work. Yeah, who do the That's work. It. So the consultants are you know, getting a lot more money. At the same time, hanging over this job situation is the looming closure of the Australian car manufacturing sector. Mm. Toyota will close its Altona plant this October, completing the destruction of 2,500 jobs. GMH Holden will end all production in Australia, destroying the remaining 2,300 jobs. Um, Just going back to the United States for a moment, the announcement by Trump removing White House Chief of Staff Rince Priebus and replacing him with retired John F. Kennedy, general, a general, marks a further stage in the emergence of the military brass as a decisive political power in the Trump administration. But at least he got rid of Scaramouche, Scaramouche. Scaramouche. We do the Fandango. <laughs> well, actually, somebody suggested that the solution to unemployed pro- problem in America was to give everybody a go as communications director. Yeah, yeah. So you might be hoed for, hoed for, and it says one fellow who was employed for 40 minutes, he said, I nearly made it through White House security before I was dismissed. <laughs> but he said it was a wonderful experience. <laughs> With General Kelly as the, the House Chief of Staff, General H. McMaster, an active duty officer as National Security Advisor, and retired General James Mattis as Secretary of Defence, military men hold three of the four top appointed positions in the executive branch. The President coupled the removal of Priebus with a public blast against Senate Republicans, including Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Oh, they're over their failure to enact any version of the repeal of the Medicare Act, or the Affordable Care Act, which is not affordable at all. But they're going to make, replace it with something much, much worse. We'd Trump like, responded yeah. with a series of treats, saying, Senate Republicans look like fools. I mean, this, <laughs> what can you say? I love it. <laughs> and demanding that McConnell trample on minority rights in the Senate and proceed immediately to push through White House proposal for slashing taxes on the wealthy and gutting social programs such as Medicare. He's our man. Trump presented him once more and more as a ruler above the capitalist party, that is, the Democrats and Republicans, while seeking to surround himself with uniformed audience, uninformed audiences. For example, he addressed 40,000 Boy Scouts well, well known for being up uh, uh, ahead of uh, political events, who were assembled at a, a jamboree in West Virginia. Then on Friday, he gave a speech to police on Long Island, in which he endorsed rough treatment for immigrants and others under arrest. Oh yes, touching yes. off chants of the moronic USA, USA. Did you? Did you? I don't know whether anybody listening actually saw what he was doing with the police. He's standing in front of these police, all lined up saying, now, when are you going to put them in the car? Now, I understand at the moment you put your hand on the top of their head and sort of help so their head doesn't bump. Mm. He said, don't put your hand on top of it. 
you know. They bump their heads too bad, you know. Right. If you hurt them when they're getting in, well, they're, they're thugs. They, know, won't come. Been doing? <laughs> they won't come to America. They'll think, oh, God, I'm not getting my head back. <laughs> in all this, there's the stench of dictatorship. Trump's pursuing a definite political strategy. He wants to carve himself as a representative of the financial wing of the capitalist class, a position of power independent of the apparatus of the establishment political parties and the traditional institutions of capitalist rule, such as Congress, the courts and the so-called mainstream media. But Trump isn't some aberration or accident, an interloper into the otherwise pristine examples of American democracy. He is the product of decades of uninterrupted war, reaction and decay of political culture within the ruling class and of all institutions a process that has been presided over by both big business parties. This has coincided with the rise of a criminal financial oligarchy and a staggering growth of social inequality to levels incompatible with democratic norms. The Democratic Party, for its part, welcomes the appointment of General Kelly. Its opposition to Trump continues to be set on demands for an escalation of the confrontation with Russia, Certainly the issue most Americans when they go to bed of a night and say, oh, that Russia. Yeah. You know, I haven't got a job, I haven't got an income, That's I haven't got fault. any medical care. But those <laughs> Russians, they're bastards. Well, they still see them as commies, you see. They, don't, they, don't they haven't woken it up. No, no. But, well, from, while they're in the, in the uh, uterus... Uh, they're taught that uh, Russia's a That's right. I think that's and a big explanation yeah, because that's why no one's demanding evidence. Mm, no one seems to want evidence that the Russians have done all this stuff. Because no, no, no. They're no, innately they're evil. evil. They're they are evil. innately yeah. evil. Um, the, in, if the Democrats, no less than the Republicans, fear the growth of social opposition and anti-capitalist sentiment in the working class and support the domination of the military over the political system as against insurance against the threat of social revolution. The concentration of wealth in the hands of a tiny financial oligarchy personified by social criminals like Trump and Scaramucci, for God's sake, <laughs> is completely incompatible with democratic rights. The dem- defence of democratic rights falls to the working class as a central element in the struggle for the abolition of the capitalist system and the socialist reorganisation of society. Well, uh, well, can I say that too that the bans on Russia by the United States is not going to. I mean, the British are coming out and saying, "Well, we are opposed to it." Uh, the uh, sorry, the Germans. The Germans are, are saying that uh, uh, are saying that others, other countries, should uh, not comply with it, and uh, because Russia is building a, pro- a pipeline to Europe. Yes, at yes. the moment, and uh, but that's for fossil fuels, I gather. So it, that's it another is. advantage. That's not being built. Well, that may yes, it's for gas and oil, mm, mm. Um, but it may be. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I'm to find the good side. Well, yes, I mean there's a good and a bad side to that, but but at least they're making it clear in uh, and and Germany, I think, has taken over the leadership of NATO, hasn't it? Not that I mean Merkel oh, yeah. is actually right wing leader, but she's got more brains in her little finger than Trump has well, and, and the rest of the US yes, probably. Yes, yes. But, and they, they've uh, got enough sense of their own national interest, well, their yes. own national capitalist interest exactly. to realise that Trump so, is a threat to them all. Exactly. And so, you know, putting bans on trade um, is gonna, not going to... Short term. It's short not going to do them any good. None because 
the capo country. But they can at least be seen as punishing those awful Russians.